I'm here with Father Glenn Sedano. He's a Franciscan friar of the Renewal um, up in Manhattan right now, mm -hmm. living in Manhattan. And he just gave a retreat to our employees. And uh, But you were telling me something really interesting about your community that you all are uh, looking at um, starting a kind of a pre-postulancy formation. Yes. Tell us about that. Well, it's right now it's not being officially done by the friars themselves, but uh, it, actually it was initiated by a young man who was a friar. Now he's a doctor of psychology, and, and, um, and, uh, but being with the friars um, uh, affected him so much. He was with the friars uh, for a few years before he made his final vows, so, so he left, he discerned properly, and um, now he is married, he has a few children. But he told us, he says, living with the friars um, uh, has really gave me a foundation and a focus. And a... so he says, why don't you do this for other people, too? And my, my first reaction, quite frankly, was that, you know, we have enough things on our plate just for our own young men who are interested in us. And, and um, but the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, where are the future fathers of families like Greg, uh, who's going to who's where are they coming from? Mm -hmm. uh, where are the future priests? Where are the future friars and religious? And uh, so, so the idea was, you know, the pool for healthy vocations is not only shrinking, but it's it's becoming poisoned because of the culture. So uh, actually, it was um, it was Cardinal Seurat uh, in a uh, in an article in the Nuestra Catholic Register um, that he said that we have to create places, an oasis where the soul and the mind can breathe. You know, and in the in this article in the interview, he said it three times. You have to create places. So and it's true. You you, you do need a place, and um uh, and uh, in the past we had a place of a neighborhood. You had a parish, you had a family, extended family with cousins and and the like, and aunts and uncles. You know, many times it was called the so-called ghetto. And that somehow nurtured, it was a bit of a hothouse, uh, which uh, nurtured um, uh, a person's identity. Um, I myself caught the sort of end of this. I'm Italian-American, I'm from New York. And, uh, and uh, so you know, all of my friends that I grew up with were uh, Catholic. I went to a Catholic grade school, and, and a Jesuit high school, and, and uh, I went to a Catholic camp. So it was a bit very, uh, some people might sort of say it's insular or insulated, certainly not isolated. But what it did, it created a bit of a, a culture where you could take root and you sort of you know who you are and what you are. Anyway, unfortunately, that is, has, uh, is, is dissipated in many parts of the country. Um, uh, maybe you might have to go to the Midwest or someplace to, to find this type of supportive culture. Mm -hmm. And um, so the upshot is, is that uh, we hope to, um, uh, when I say we, I'm speaking of the laity who are uh, initiating this, we're somewhat supporting them, uh, to have a farm where the young men would uh, spend maybe three months or six months, perhaps a year, oh, who knows, maybe even more, um, and uh, to learn responsibility, um, uh, to be, to wean themselves away from the, the phone and from the, from the, the, the screen <laughs> mm -hmm. and look at the sky more and um, learn certain skills like carpentry and the like. Curiously, if you have a problem, like a drug addiction, or alcohol addiction, there's plenty of places like this. They separate you, they call them rehabs. Mm -hmm. They separate you, they put you someplace, and then uh, most notably in the Catholic Church, we have the Chinacolo community, and um, uh, they're all over the world. And a young guy has to stay with them for three years. But during those three years, they learned how to pray, 
They learn how to be responsible. They learn how to communicate. They learn uh, how to work. Mm-hmm. But so anyway, so you, you have to have a problem before you, <laughs> before you go to these places. Right. Well, there should be healthy places where people, they're not forced to go, they want to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, they sort of say, well, I need a next step. Maybe I finish college and I'm not exactly sure where I'm going, or maybe I'm going into college, or maybe I'm, I have my two years college, I'm not exactly sure. But anyway, so it's a, it's a place where they could breathe, a place where they could work, a place where they could, um, again, wean themselves off from the, the technology, and, uh, and there'd be somewhat of a, 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 a book program, a directed reading book program, so they're, they're, they uh, maybe learn a little bit about... Uh, the liturgy and and how to celebrate the uh, all these to participate or to um, to offer to the uh, to the parish you know maybe they could learn some chant or you know that so it's a uh, uh, it's hopefully it's a balanced uh, healthy way of life and it's right now it's being proposed as being called Holy Family Farm and um, so now we have the idea there's lay people that are working on it now we just have to get the land. <laughs> Do you have so, your eyes on a piece of land? Uh, well, we're looking in Pennsylvania right now, yeah. and uh, so. Uh, but uh, to tell you the truth, we're not terribly worried about the money. Uh, uh-huh. We believe that the money will come. Yeah. The money is the least thing. Father Father Benedict used to tell us years ago, uh, Mother Teresa, quoting yeah. Mother Teresa, God has lots of money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, right. so, uh, I think that we have to take a we have to take a stand to do something because. We certainly can't wait for um, from the hierarchy or for some bishops or from anyone else. Um, you know, we've been told for the past fifty years, the, the laity that is, you know, you are the church, you are the church, you are the church. <laughs> so now I have to tell the lay people, listen, you're the church, you do something. Yeah. We'll support you. Right. But you do something. Yeah. Don't complain. Yeah. So uh, the days of wringing the hands is over. It's the time of rolling up sleeves. Right. It's necessary. And I wouldn't be surprised if you even. Get some older, older guys. Because even like Chinaclo, the Chinaclo community here up near Hansville, mm. they this past year they've had a number of guys that had no, they weren't drug or alcohol addicted. Mm. It's like they just kind of went there for some formation. There we go. You know? that, that's a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I was wondering, like you, you you're born, raised Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and very kind of ethnic tight community. And I would imagine like some of those communication skills and interacting with people would come out of that. I mean, today it seemed like a danger is, at least outside of New York where you're not as congested, but uh, you're so isolated. You don't learn like one-on-one, everybody's texting, you're not talking mm-hmm. to each other, you're not interacting. Do you feel like that that has shifted in the culture? Like, um, Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, p- young people today, uh, I mean, uh, they don't even like talking on the phone. Right. And when I speak to sometimes uh, young guys um, uh, who, who are calling me for whatever reason, um, uh, sometimes I think that there's something wrong with them is because they're not finishing sentences or, you, or, you know, you they just give you how you're doing and, and, and you know, they don't ask you how are you doing. Uh, you know, the, so it's, it's like a, you think that they're rude. Mm-hmm. Or you think that there's, uh, but it's it's not. It's just that the I think they're uncomfortable. Yeah. And um, uh, so especially even as the family has uh, shrunk and 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 uh, you know sometimes people they just you know, I'm talking about let's say a young guy, let's say he just has a sister, maybe two sisters. Well, in one sense he's still alone, <laughs> mm-hmm. in some sense, 
And um, again, being separated from the extended family, uh, in the past people lived near one another, mm -hmm. um, uh, even in the city, they lived down the street or upstairs or downstairs. Well, now people, they may not even be close to family members. They may not even have a cousin. And that's where it's moving. Mm -hmm. So people, this, this, this degree of isolation is continuing to grow. Uh -huh. So we have to force ourselves in some sense to create um, a family. And um, you know, some of our listeners may be familiar with what's called the Benedict Option, which is, uh, which is a, uh, this idea that uh, St. Benedict, uh, who started the, the monasticism, um, that we as Christians are, are going to have to move more towards that model. Mm -hmm. that, that we have to, not to be like the Amish, Mm -hmm. to separate ourselves and isolate ourselves, but to create a distance, a healthy distance, where we can uh, come to, if you will, understand who we are, what we are, celebrate that, if you will, using a popular word, um, mm -hmm. and uh, so that we can invite people into that, mm -hmm. so that they could come and see the beauty of a lifestyle, right. the beauty of liturgy, the beauty of a meal, the beauty of... Uh, Perhaps of a production of, of 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 whether it's food or livestock or 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 or, or objects of wooden wooden things or furniture whatever it might be, but to to, uh, to enter into something that's of beauty. Yeah. So the farm we hope that farm we envision that the farm is going to be a beautiful place, mm -hmm. a beautiful place to visit, mm -hmm. a beautiful place to 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 see, and and um and also for those who are there, for however long or short, it's a beautiful place to live. Yeah, you know that's an effect striking to me about Chinakolo here is, I mean they live an austere poverty. You know they don't have air condition here in Alabama. They don't have. Mm -hmm. I don't even think they have heat. Um, but they they have wood burning stoves. Do they? I was just there yesterday. Oh, do they? Mm -hmm. Oh, that fireplace. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, and they, and it's like they're stripped of all this stuff. You know, no phones, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then like when people come to visit, it's like. They are they are attentive to you, mm -hmm. and it's almost intoxicating as a mm -hmm. visitor. You go, you say you're getting fed, but I, you know, it's I think I see it too as a source of evangelization. Like you bring people to the farm, mm -hmm. and these people are available. Yep, you know, and then they can share the faith maybe some way. And, and also, quite frankly, if you're not out and about, and you, you see this in, in the people that live in, in more rural areas, or you know, when when you're not out and about, and and uh, well. People are your entertainment, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. and it's great to see people. Yeah. And uh, yeah. we, we've forgotten that, that, uh, that because people are so much entertained today by watching things and, and listening to things and, and all this, uh, everything, that um, a real live person is, becomes um, uh, is, is a source of, of pleasure. And, right. it should, and it should yeah. be that way. So yeah. guests, you know, in the past, you know, uh, people would visit, at least even in Brooklyn, New York, people would visit, they would pop in. The house right. in the evening. Yeah. Oh, you're happy to see them. You put on the yeah. coffee. You take out the cake. You know. Yeah. But uh, uh, today, no one simply just pops by, right. or, they, or they get offended. Why didn't yeah. you call? Yeah. You know. Yeah. So this so this this idea of hospitality it has to be rediscovered. Yeah. And the joy of hospitality. Yeah. I remember one of the members, and you know, had exited Chinakolo, and then he he was living in town. And he came by, he had dinner with us one night, and he had the phone. Now he had the car. And the country music song played backwards. He got it all back, you know. <laughs> and I remember he had his head buried in the phone. It's like, I just, I remember mm -hmm. this guy, you know, you'd go visit and mm -hmm. he would just like be talking to you, interacting yep. and all mm -hmm. this. Yeah. And the phone was just like sucking his whole yes. attention, personality. Yeah. 
And uh, I thought, man, you know, you forget. I mean, well, we see, also... hopefully that what we want to do is not the fo- taking the phone away, quote unquote, is not a deprivation, but it's, it's, you're, it's you're practicing. So when they, when they leave after spending some time living this way, the farm, we hoped that it would be a school to learn how to live a balanced, proper, healthy way of life so that you're eating properly. Not simply because you're on the farm, right. but you learn certain things that are not good for you. Yeah. Or you learn yeah. to eat in a proper way. Right. Um, that particular type of manual work is not is not a burden, but actually something that you want to do. Yeah. You, you, you yeah. want to break a sweat. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and recreation is not entertainment. And so, you know, getting watching television for endless hours or playing video games becomes repugnant. Right. So hoping to develop a savor for a healthy way of life. So it's not like, oh, I can have this and then like a prison. And then when I get out, so it's it's more of a, it's, it's not a prison, it's a school. So you're not going to like put a swamp around it with alligators and keep... No, I don't think that, 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 that that's not a good idea. <laughs> if actually, they have to want to go there. <laughs> it sounds like... Um, Almost like renewal, renewal of masculinity, fatherhood, and you've been around renewal a lot. Yeah, well, that's part of our name. Yeah. Yes, huh? <laughs> Tell us about renewal, like mm. in the church and religious life. How do you renew? I mean, Vatican II, they say that, you know, mm. I was just recently reading the closing address of Paul VI, and he said the first purpose, I always think of in terms of evangelization, you know, reforming the message so the modern world can receive it. Mm-hmm. And he said, yes, but he said the first purpose. Mm is renewal of the church mm-hmm. and i was struck by that you know that uh so what what has been your experience like some elements of renewal well i, I think well the second vatican council at least in terms of ecclesial renewal has always been a return to the sources you know and we all know that if you want to build something you, you can't simply just just throw up a, a shed or a garage or any or building without putting a foundation down so so renewal is is somewhat hitting the bedrock of, of reality, of truth, um, whether it be a theological truth or simply just truth about life. And, um, uh, and it's humility. It's, it's, it's recognizing what our limitations are, but it's also recognizing what we have received from others, uh, the truths of the faith, uh, the wisdom of the ages. And um, so it's not, you're not, you're not, you're not someone creating anything or even recreating anything. It's more rediscovering. And, and so you, you're digging down to get, you know, the basic foundation. So if you're going to build something and you're going to repudiate or reject or, or, or ignore the basic um, tools of building, which is a ruler, one plus one is two. What you feel about that, what you think about that, what you, would this make a difference? One plus one is two. You have to use a ruler. You have to use a T-square. You have to use a level. And these are basic things they, they probably used to build the pyramids. Mm-hmm. But they're using it today to build skyscrapers. No, the, no, the tools may become a little bit more you know, high tech and they may, they may be using uh, uh, but, uh, computers. But it's yeah. basically something has to be level. Right. It has right. to be squared off. Right. And um, so, so we have to level ourselves and square off ourselves but at basic truths. The basic truth is, is, is our identity, who we are. And um, uh, uh, I was... I'm here actually at EWTN because I gave the employees retreat yesterday. And I said that one of the things that we learned from the Baltimore Catechism is, is why, uh, why did God create me? God created me to know, love, and serve Him in this life and be happy with Him forever in the next. Now that's a basic fundamental truth. 
Now, what if you don't build your life on that? First of all, that there's a God, that He created me, that He created me with an intelligence to know Him, with a heart to love Him, and the will to serve Him. So, to be happy with Him for uh, to be happy with Him forever in the next, which has to do with eternity. Those are some basic footings of of a foundation, which unfortunately are missing today. That people are not accepting that there's a, there's reality called a God, and that it's not no loving and serving God and 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 by serving other people, it's by me seeking pleasure and and um, uh, so so people today, as was mentioned yesterday at the, at the 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 um, day of recollection, we have a lot of information, but people don't know what it means. Mm-hmm. You have to know what something means. And so, so renewal to me is, is, is a recognition, what are the basic truths about life? That there is a God and I'm not God. <laughs> and, and that there's a reason why I'm here. And there are things that bring me pleasure and the things that bring me peace. And sometimes those are in contradiction with one another. Right. I'm not here to please myself. I'm here to serve others. And on those some basic principles, now you're renewing the church is because you yourself have something to build on. You're rebuilding your life. Curious, mm-hmm. so with St. Francis of Assisi, Francis, uh, God, uh, Jesus speaking to him from the cross at San Damiano, um, uh, you know, he said in Italian, Francesco, va a riparar la casa mia. Mm-hmm. Fra- Francis, go and repair mm-hmm. your, my house because, because you see it's in ruin. Well, Francis started rebuilding the chapel of San Damiano and uh, Our Lady of the Angels and St. Peter's, for three years he was rebuilding, falling down chapels. But the Lord was rebuilding him mm-hmm. because he was coming to an awareness of, of that, that there was a, not that he didn't believe in God, but there was a God who believed in him and wanted him to do something. Yeah. So Christianity is not a spectator sport. We right. have to, we, if we want to renew the church, we have to do something. Mm-hmm. And it starts at home. You know, do something. Get a prayer group together. Start, start praying the rosary with your family. You start praying the rosary. <laughs> Just <laughs> do something. <laughs> yeah, you made me think of Father Andrew Fossley. Yeah. I guess we're coming up on the anniversary. Yes, oh, the, the, the 12th will be coming up on 12th, his anniversary. Yeah. And it seemed like he was... Uh, I know one thing he just struck me is uh, just a man of fidelity you know, to the religious life and Franciscan charism and just kind of that bedrock type of person <laughs> that was not, so not to fancy and um, but um, uh, yeah just as the, you know the, the, some people sort of say the salt of the earth you know just uh, humble and um, faithful mm-hmm. and um, uh, and um, a good man mm-hmm. good holy man yeah I'd like to also ask, ask you about some of your work uh, as an exorcist. Um, and uh, what what have you seen out there, like the problem with the, the demonic? Um, like what, what, what could you maybe, let's first start, what would you tell like a typical person who's not possessed, but maybe some of the influences of the demonic in their life they need to be careful of? Well, I mean, if we look at the world and we see the, the chaos that exists and the instability and the divisions, um, uh, now, if you're a person of faith, it would be foolish to sort of say that the enemy has nothing to do with this. Okay, now, if there's a listener who doesn't simply just believe in God or believe in this thing, well, 
well, okay, then <laughs> good luck to you. But point being is, is that um, as a man of faith and, and, and as a, someone who is a member of the Catholic faith, we know that there's an evil entity, a primary evil entity, uh, known as Satan or Lucifer or the like, and uh, that there are fallen angels and they are intent on, on, on ruining our lives. Not simply just even just our, our, our eternal life, our, our, our soul, but even our, our, our happiness and well-being here. Um, they, they basically get pleasure out of, uh, out of pain and sadness. It's, if you want to see something, uh, something akin to this, you would, see, you would think of the Nazis. And by the way, Adolf Hitler probably was, was, was possessed. He was, he was a man who was very much into the occult. And, um, and uh, so point being is, is this a lot of sickness and sadness in the world? And, and uh, some of these things have direct spiritual um, roots. Um, and all of us, the, the ordinary work of the enemy is temptation. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean every temptation that we have is, is that the, the, the devil is, is a few feet away. Um, uh, with a, you know, trying to entrap us, but the point being is, is that um, uh, often enough, um, we um, there is an element of of um, uh, that's exterior to us, which is drawing us to something evil, and um, so uh, point being is, is that there's there's plenty of um, ordinary work of the enemy outside. However. There are times, it's, it's not terribly like um, medicine or physical health, a person can get infected. If, if you're wounded, you, if you keep the wound clean and washed and well bandaged, um, you, the wound will heal. If, it's, if, you, if, you keep it, if it's dirty and if it's not taken care of, the wound gets infected. So we might sort of say that our, the sins that we commit in life are sort of the scra scratches and scrapes that we have. But you know, you go to confession, um, you pray, you receive the sacraments, um, uh, and you seek to repent. And those, the, the, those little bumps and, 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 and abrasions um, uh, you know, don't terribly affect us uh, spiritually. However, if they're left open, they can get infected. And so the infection exhibits itself uh, in what's called obsession. Um, a person can be spiritually obsessed or oppressed or possessed. And um, uh, when we speak of obsession, uh, sometimes in Europe, the exorcists use various this different um, terminology. But the general principle is that when a person is obsessed, it's normally the affliction is often enough in the mind. So the person is getting, let's say, very negative thoughts in their head, um, uh, or they see they're seeing very obscene or or, or horrific images um, in their mind's eye, and it comes out of the blue. Um, they're afflicted with um, with uh, very disturbing dreams. Uh, so, uh, or they're hearing voices in their head. It's not necessarily coming from outside, but inside. Now, immediately, when a, when a person hears this, they sort of say, oh, well, that's obviously psychological problems. Mm. Well, it can be, but, um, um, but even a person that has a psychological problem, that's an open wound. Mm -hmm. and, and it becomes very, and, and an evil entity, they, they are interested in when they see something broken. It's like a vulture. 
uh, vultures fly around dead dead meat. <laughs> right. So 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 when a person is broken in some way psychologically, certainly emotionally, um, uh, they, these things they 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 sense it, they see it, they smell it. I don't know what it is, but they're drawn to that which is injured, and 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 they whatever it is they want to, they think it's a uh, something that they could drag to hell. So the obsession often enough is something in the mind. Oppression is often enough in the body. And so the people somehow they feel something in them or on them, sort of hovering over them or, or attached to their back, sometimes even moving in, in parts of their body. Um, this is called an oppression. Uh, sometimes it even affects the family life. And so there's, there's division in the family, uh, unnecessary arguing, um, explosions, uh, emotional outbursts. Um, uh, the person gets fired from their job. Uh, it's like it's it's Job in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, Satan is a part of that story. Mm -hmm. So, Job is oppressed physically. There are some people that go to the doctors, and, and the doctor can't find what the problem is. Mm -hmm. They keep going to the specialist, keep going to the specialist. They can't find anything. Now, is that definitive proof that there is an oppression? No. But you have to put pieces together and you add up things and you sort of say, you know what? It appears to be that there's something uh, spiritual here. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and there are different levels of obsession and oppression, much like a person could have the sniffles and a person could have a flu or a person could have a really bad flu, which puts them in bed for a few weeks. Right. So it's much like medicine that um, a person's immune system is very much um, a part of this so if, if there was five people here in this room and I uh, sneezed because I, I had uh, some uh, cold, whatever, well, if everyone's immune system was strong, no one's going to get sick. Mm -hmm. Now, they received my germs through my sneezing, mm -hmm. but no one's going to get sick. But if one person in the room, they have a bad immune system, meaning they're not eating right, they're not resting right, they're not exercising, they're not taking their vitamin, whatever it might be, mm -hmm that person's going to get sick. So how does one get infected? How does one get spiritually sick? Is by having a bad immune system. Right. So if you're not going to, if you're not, if you're a Catholic, by virtue of your baptism, you have made a legal uh, agreement to, to be, you're a member of the Catholic faith. So Sunday observance, this is, this is, you are legally, if you will, mm -hmm. you, you, you're obligated. We call this an obligation. When you do that, you are breaking your contract. Mm -hmm. Confession. Uh, prayer. Mm -hmm. So, so when, a, when, a, when a person is, is, when they have openings, well, does it mean that definitively you're going to the, that you're going to get sick? Just like I sneeze, does it mean that definitively that the person's going to get sick? No, it doesn't happen every time. But can the person get sick? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, is it because that they're a bad person? No. Mm -hmm. An evil person? No. Mm -hmm. You might call them a stupid person, mm -hmm. <laughs> stupid in the sense that the, the, uh, or a lazy person or a selfish person. In the sense that they're not they're not re, uh, they're not fulfilling the task. Mm -hmm. So if I left my keys, and if I let's say if I drove here to Alabama and I left my keys in the car here and it's in the parking lot here, VWTN, is it going to get stolen? Probably not. 
If I left it in my neighborhood in Manhattan, will it get solid? <laughs> well, <laughs> there's a higher chance. Now, does it mean that I'm a bad person because I left the keys in the, in the yeah. car door? Yeah. No. Yeah. Does it mean that my car is going to get stolen? Definitively, no. Yeah. But it can get stolen. Right. And, 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 and is it my fault? Yes. What are some of maybe the gateways that people don't recognize to the demonic today that you've seen? Well, gateways, once again, is, would be infidelity to, to basic precepts of the faith. Um, Certain kinds of music, films? Yes, well, there's a number of things. One of them is a a very big opening for demonic infiltration would be uh, abuse or sexual abuse during childhood. Mm. Any type of trauma in childhood, because a child is very vulnerable. So what happens is is that that, that this event which has happened in their life or a series of events opens up or or quote-unquote wounds them emotionally. And a wound, once again, is a need, can easily get infected, and so so uh, so some type of emotional abuse, uh, not even may even be a direct abuse. It can be um, a deprivation. So a child could go into a deep depression or a sense of isolation or loneliness. Now again, how the demonic um, sees this, quote unquote, maybe there's a darkness around the person. Well, who knows? We don't yeah. know. Um, uh, maybe it's the aura, as they say, that mm. sometimes maybe there's, there's a very dark aura, and these things are attracted to darkness. Mm. They're attracted to dark. They mm. live in darkness. So when they roam the world and they see a certain darkness, yeah. they're interested. Like moths are int- interested in a, in a light on a porch uh, in, the, in the evening. Mm-hmm. These things flutter around dark, mm. and they enter into darkness. So. So emotional uh, deprivation or, or some type of abuse, especially during childhood, when there's a vulnerability, that's a very, very big one. As a person gets older, any particular sin, once again, which is, we might sort of say it's repetitive or that it, is, um, it becomes very uh, habitual or serious. Um, sexual habits, um, uh, um, gambling, uh, drug abuse, um, uh, alcoholism, anything where there's a really the 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 wound is not in the body, but the wound is in the in the soul and in, and in one's emotions. Again, it becomes dark, and these things start fluttering around, and they sort of see this as a nice place to to land. Um, so they're attracted to these things, and yes, and as you've mentioned, um, uh, the sometimes forms of of music especially rock or rap or um, heavy metal, what they call, or these other types of things. Um, why is it? Is because these things are very disruptive to the emotions of the person listening. It's not the music per se, but it's the beat, which can have often a, a sexual um, uh, connotation, and it's also the, uh, the emotions that are stirred up, uh, most especially like anger or violence, um, uh, rebellion, so this is, there's some music that's very rebellious music. So when a person's listening to it, they can't simply just sort of say, well, I, I, I don't listen to the words and I like the beat. Sometimes even the beat is bad. Mm-hmm. And once again, it creates, um, uh, it creates a, a wound, mm-hmm. quote unquote, um, in the emotions uh, or in the mind. And, um, uh, and false teachings, can, uh, uh, false teachings or false religion 
because now now the intellect is wounded. You're just believing something that is not true. You're believing something that's 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 harmful. And so well, so whether it's the intellect, or whether it's the emotions, or whether it's um, uh, the the soul, the the uh, the um, moral um, facet of the person, um, when there is something that's dark, which is opposite the light, um, uh, they're interested. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. those are good points. I um, I was just thinking when you were talking about um, two, like just suggestions. I, I've heard it said that, uh, well, first, yeah, I, I heard this exorcist one time say, too, that, you know, our culture is kind of, you know, very kind of pleasure-seeking, hedonistic, and a lot of things are there that kind of stimulate you on the sense level, and you kind of live on this surface level. So you're really not getting nurtured maybe on a deeper, mm-hmm. deeper part of the soul. And, uh, but also that we can be manipulated by just, if we start just getting, living by senses, mm-hmm. we're easily dragged around to, I gotta buy this. You know, you can see where Madison Avenue and tech companies want your attention and everything, and they stimulate you that they can make money off of that. But I would think too that it would be fodder for the evil ones <laughs> to play with us. So. Well, well, if people are blind in, in the intellect, the only way they can navigate through life is by feelings. Mm-hmm. Just like if you're blindfolded, how are you going to get through? The, how are you going to get across the room? That's a good point. By feeling yeah. everything, yeah. and um, uh, and then you feel something. So you, if you feel a snake, without seeing it, you say it will feel smooth because you think a snake mm-hmm. is slimy. It's not. Mm-hmm. And some things which are very rough, you could sort of say, "Well, this isn't good." And you know, you open your eyes, and it's uh, it's gold. Let's mm-hmm. say, you know. So uh, so um, uh, so if if you, you, we cannot go by our feelings, yeah. but this everyone everyone's in a very very emotional level today, and there's really no thought. Right. And this is why there's uh, the philosophy, um, uh, basic philosophical truths or logic. People are, are illogical today. And it's 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 basically what however I perceive things, however I understand things, however whatever I feel is the I I I. And um, but there's there's not an acceptance that um, that there can be information and wisdom and 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 uh, uh, other forms of assistance that are outside of myself that could prove me wrong, and that I may have to change my behavior. Yeah. And my understanding too is that Satan can suggest things to us, and um, and I, I've even noticed a couple times. Like I'm thinking of like, well, I, was, I guess a family member or something would, would say the exact wrong thing. Like I'm struggling with maybe some issue with a friend of mine, and then a family member will say just the wrong comment to get me all started. And I thought, my gosh, that seemed beyond coincidence you know <laughs> it's true that some things are beyond coincidence and and um, with all of these things we have to use some type of discernment but uh, but objectively speaking whatever whatever the person said whether it was demonically inspired or not it was either demonic or dumb <laughs> so um, so in one sense it doesn't make a difference but yeah. um, uh, uh, this is uh, this is why we have to once again we it's it's a matter of staying in a state of grace and and Quite frankly, living a healthy life. The the enemy likes disorder. Uh, I was just uh, speaking to a young man who who has a demonic affliction, and soon as we started changing, I changed the conversation 
to ordering his day. I asked him, I said, what time do you get up every morning? He's a student and he's a very responsible young man. But I asked him, what time do you get up in the morning? And he says, 10.30. And I looked at him, I says, no, 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 no. That's going to change. You're not going to be getting up at 10.30 anymore. That's too late and we have to order your life. Soon as I said, we have to order your life, the demonic showed itself in him. See, because the, the, the demons like disorder. Yeah. They like things that, that the, uh, the, uh, the, the perfect image is a circle because everything is equidistant from the center. And that's why a circle is so beautiful, is because it's all balanced and, and, and it's harmonious and there's no defect or excess. The enemy wants something that's defective yeah. or excessive. So, okay, it's good that a person likes, okay, you're going to play a game Okay, or you're going to watch something on television, or you're going to, whatever you do, mm-hmm. it's okay if it's not excessive, but most people, they, they do things to an excess. Right. So quite frankly, the demonic would, would be happy that a person would spend five hours in church all day, rather than work, mm-hmm. rather than take care of the house, rather than help people, or even do something to take care of their own self. They don't mind you praying, just as long as it's just as long as it's long, and and it, and it keeps you tired, and it keeps you, and it makes you upset, and it frustrates you. They don't mind you saying the rosary. They say fifty rosaries a day. Great, that's good. You know, spend all day in church. They yeah. like that yeah. because monks don't spend all day in church, right. and monks don't pray fifty rosaries a day. Right. They, they got things to do, yeah. and they'll pray in other ways. Yeah. So I'm not telling people not to pray, right. but my point is this: is that the enemy likes you know so i tell people don't be weird mm-hmm. if you if you have if you're living a life that's that's weird <laughs> don't be weird <laughs> you know do fun things have recreation but your life is not all recreation you know right have um as an exorcist have you i i was present one time at a an exorcist it's kind of hard to explain situation but i remember it it frightened me and it, have you ever been in a situation where you were frightened? No, that... not at all. Uh, you know, I, I think this may be also part of the, if I could use the word call, I, I, I'm not sure if that's the right word, but put it this way. If there was an accident out, in the, mm-hmm. out of this road out here, the street right here, and there was an accident, and there was blood and bones all over the place, I am not going to be rolling up my sleeves, running in there, and, and, and you know, that's not me. Yeah. I don't have that call. Right. I'm not an emergency medical guy. Yeah. And I'll stay. I'll uh, I'll keep my distance. I'll say a prayer. I'll get on the phone, but mm-hmm. I'm not getting in there. That frightens me. Mm-hmm. But if a person sort of manifesting in front mm-hmm. of me, you know, or, or a person, the demonic speaking through a person and yeah. saying something to me, that doesn't. You know, so, in some sense, I think it was part of my, not my attraction so much, but I think my call is that when I first encountered it, I even realized that I was not frightened by it at all. I was more mm. curious about it. Mm. And theologically and also psychologically trying to figure this thing out. And being a New Yorker, we don't believe in anything right away. You see, so it's like in the beginning, it's like, nah, this can't be. You know, and uh and uh, you know, and and actually it was a handicap to this particular ministry is because you have to have a certain amount of of incredulosity, but it can't be you can't be a doctor that is sitting there and, and when the patient's telling you that they feel this or they see that or they whatever, uh-huh. and you're sort of saying, well, no, they, 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 you know, they, they're just making this up. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so point being is, is that um, I have not had any, um, any event uh, that has 
that, um, and quite frankly, it's very edifying, especially to a person of faith. Um, uh, uh, I'm not exactly sure what exactly happened at, at your mm-hmm. exorcism, but um, uh, uh, most of the work I do are not formal exorcisms. They're, where they're called deliverance prayers. And uh, although they could be somewhat dramatic and, and uh, uh, also, but um, I've had some of the brothers be with me to pray Mm-hmm. And often enough, they, they leave sort of very edified. They're saying, wow, mm-hmm. because they see the power, uh, not so much the power, but I should say the power of authority. See, the demonic has power. They're, they're intelligence, and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're supercomputers. Mm-hmm. So they're very, very intelligent. They're also invisible, and they also you know, have a lot of things that, the, the things that they could do. Um, but, um, but we have authority. Mm-hmm. See, the, the, uh, in today's reading, Jesus gave authority to the apostles. Right. So, and these things are afraid of authority because they're very legalistic entities. And they know when they're in a place where they're not supposed to be. Yeah. So if you break into a house and, and it's an abandoned house and the cops show up, well, no problem. The cops are going to say, what are you doing here? You sort of say, well, I was just you know, poking around. And they say, well, you get out of here. But if it's someone's house... <laughs> You're in trouble. <laughs> so w- when they're doing what they're doing, if it's someone's house, meaning that the person's baptized, yeah. and the house belongs to Christ, Christ's name is on the, on the mailbox, <laughs> they know they're in a place where they're not supposed to be. Yeah. When we encounter them in us, if we know who we are, meaning, hold it, I live here, this is his house, he's given me responsibility, I have authority. Right. That they're afraid of. They're afraid of any Christian who realizes who they are and that is going to now exhibit the authority that they have over them. That's what makes them nervous because it's not power, it's authority. And everyone, I should mention, has authority over themselves. You don't have to call the bishop to ask to, to, to command and if you if you think you're being harassed by an evil spirit you don't have to call the bishop up and say can I tell the, this thing to leave me you tell them to leave you mm-hmm. in the name of Jesus mm-hmm. by the authority of your baptism yeah. you tell them yeah. but uh, uh, but you have the you have the authority to do this mm-hmm. listen it's, it's it's your body it's his temple but it's it's not the demon's home right let me ask you, you brought up some points of spiritual direction. I, I would imagine you'd give a lot of spiritual direction. What are some like fundamental principles that you find you commonly are telling people in direction? Well, I, there's different forms of spiritual direction, but the, the one that I do, I sort of do more of an existential form, and that is um, if a person is traveling somewhere, they have to know where they're going. So if a car pulls into a, into a gas station and, and, and they're in there and they have to get filled up and they want to, you have to check the fluids and this and that, and let's say they're asking directions, you, know, you have to ask them, well, where do you want to go? Where are you going to? So in spiritual direction, the question, one of the basic questions is, what are you, where are you going? Now, if a person sort of says, I'm going to heaven, okay, now, now we well, I want to get to heaven. Fine, okay, that's very, very clear. Okay, okay, you want to get to heaven. Where are you now? <laughs> so where are you now? Where are you going? Right. And then when a person comes in, you, 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 you ask them, you, you, you still, how's the, how is the road? How is the weather? You check the fluids. 
you kick the tires, you toot the horn, and, um, and then you send them off on their <laughs> you send them off on their way. Um, uh, uh, and um, so much of spiritual direction for me is is I don't tell them what to do and what not to do, but um, you know, what direction are they going in, and um, and um, and if they're complaining about the road or they're complaining about the weather and they're complaining about you know you have to sort of say listen. It's raining out. You know, put on the wipers. Mm -hmm. It's cold out. Put out the heat. You know, <laughs> uh, you know. So, so to remind them some of the things that they that they have power over. We have we have many things in life that we don't have power over. We don't have power over the will of another person. Just like we don't have power over the weather. But if it's sunny out and you're sweating, okay, well, take your sweater off. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, get a cold drink. Um, so there are basic things that they can do or what, and also what they be, shouldn't be doing in order to get them on the way from here to heaven. Mm -hmm. How about a prayer life? Maybe for a, I'd like to ask you like your advice to a lay person and then maybe also share about your own prayer life a little bit, how you approach your personal time in prayer. Well, as yourself, we have a, we have a, a schedule for prayer. And quite frankly, while we do this because we're religious, um, that in religion, especially the Judeo-Christian religion, um, uh, times of the day were often, and, and, or activities of the day, were often accompanied by prayer. So you pray when you wake up. You pray when you go to bed. You pray before meals. You pray after meals. You pray before work. So, so just, by, uh, just by nature that um, we, can, uh, we should be praying at certain times for certain things. So this is what we do. You know, we have certain times of the prayer, and and I encourage people to to take certain places uh, that are stable anchors in their day and attach a prayer to it. Now, like a lot of people do this, not quite naturally by bed. People often say they'll say a Hail Mary and Our Father before going to sleep. Why? Well, they don't. There's not many distractions. It's dark. They're sitting in this, laying down. They're in one place, and so it becomes conducive. To, to go inside and not be distracted. So, so the bed is, it could be a very, very good place to, for, for prayer. Uh, the table is a place for prayer, once again, for meals. So, and person says, well, I say prayer before meals. Well, do you rattle it off? Well, well maybe, maybe every night, especially with the family, maybe you could um, uh, say, uh, um, read from the scriptures at the table. Or have you ever thought of saying a prayer after the meal, just like what we do in religious life? Say a small prayer after the meal. A lot of people don't do that. Um, uh, of course, if a person is able to, uh, to, to visit the Blessed Sacrament, even for a visit, or to go to Mass every day, really encourage that. And especially if the person has the opportunity, uh, meaning they, they, they may be not working, they're retired, they, whatever it might be in their life, um, to be sitting home... You know, having a bowl of cereal when they could be at the church re receiving the body and the blood of Christ, you know, is is crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, so quite often people don't sometimes don't even think about going to mass mm -hmm. when they can, and or 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 maybe they may be lazy, and they may be committing a sin of omission. Is because there are sometimes in confession I'll ask a person, "Do you go to? Uh, have you ever gone to mass during the week?" And they'll say, "Well, uh, sometimes I do." I says, well, is the church far away? And they said, Father, it's down the street. 
I says, oh, no, you just told me the wrong thing. <laughs> you shouldn't have given me that piece. Of, you should not have given me that piece of information. I says, You're, the, the church is down the street from you. Yes. I says, what time is the mass in the morning? Nine o'clock. I says, there's mass at nine o'clock every day. You're retired and you're not going to mass. Give me a good reason why you're not doing that. Yeah. Not a reason. Just give me a good reason. <laughs> now, if they give me a good reason, okay, yeah. now yeah. there's no, no sin incurred. But it could be a sin of omission if they're not going to, to, to Mass when they could be. You remind me of like uh, the Rosary and, and Mary. I also want to ask you about this with the exorcism. Mary seems to have a certain power there, doesn't she? I've heard exorcists talk about that. It, it is. I have to admit, it, it is very, very true. They, um, uh, whether it's in a case of a simple deliverance or even exorcism, um, Mary is... Um, uh, uh, I think sometimes I think they're more afraid of Mary than Jesus. <laughs> sometimes I'm like, if, theologically, I haven't figured that out yet. Um, uh, but um, uh, sometimes I'll even force the person, um, not so much the person themselves, but the de the demonic that's that's uh, that's uh, attached to them, to to look at an image. And so I'll have some pictures of Jesus and the saints, and uh, you know, uh, Saint John Paul II, and because uh, I want to see. What the um, what the demon is? What particular saints the demon has a nem is a nemesis to? Um, uh, and um, uh, Padre Pio is a big hitter, as you you might imagine. Um, but often enough, um, Mary, and especially if I have an image of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, mm -hmm. and um, for some reason that always there's always bingo with that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so um, so it is true. And um, and this is why d developing a um, uh, a prayer life. Where the rosary becomes a part of one's day, I, th I believe is um, is invaluable. Maybe more than we really think, uh, especially when you consider Fatima and some other apparitions. Mary is is always proposing uh, proposing the rosary, and um, uh, why we should be ignoring that, I, I don't know. Can you tell us a little about maybe your prayer life, if you would, about maybe like. You say you're going to go spend some time in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Do you use the scriptures a lot? My or? prayer life is lousy. <laughs> I'm a mess. Well, dress it up for the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> well, thank God. Thank God we have uh, at uh, our day begins at 6 o'clock, um, although there are some friars in our house who, uh, who have decided to get up an hour early. So from 5 to 6, they are, we have the Blessed Sacrament exposed. And so uh, when I wake up, I... Uh, I, uh, I think, well, the Blessed Sacrament is exposed in the chapel. Maybe I should get there a little bit early. And so often enough, I do. Mm -hmm. uh, but 6 o'clock, we have the Office of Readings. Uh, some of our listeners are familiar with the Liturgy of the Hours. And if you're not, go Google it, mm -hmm. uh, Liturgy of the Hours. And it's the official prayer of the Church. So um, I would have to say this in general. I thank God that I am participating in the prayer life of the Church because if I, if I didn't, I may not necessarily be praying if, if I was a layperson praying as much as, as I really should. Um, so the Liturgy of the Hours certainly uh, carries me along the way because at 6 o'clock we have Office of Readings. The office is around maybe a 20-minute office, 15 to 20 minutes. Then we have an hour and change of quiet time. So we go to our room, stay in the chapel, take a walk if it's, it's a nice day. But anyway, so it's quiet time. So that's more personal prayer or reading of the scriptures, as you mentioned, or, or, or spiritual reading. Then we come back into the chapel, then we have morning prayer, and that's followed by Mass. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, after that, we have breakfast, 
and um, uh, which isn't was terribly exotic. Except that it's on Sunday, it's a nice brunch, but but it's just a cold and simple breakfast. And um, uh, then it's off to the races. Everyone always has things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Twelve o'clock, we stop and we have midday prayer, uh, for, especially for those friars that are home. And um, we have midday prayer, which is a the office is maybe ten minutes or so. Uh, then we have some lunch, um, and then back to the races. And uh, so, but at four, at five o'clock to six o'clock, we have the holy hour. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we expose the blessed sacrament. We have our vespers or evening prayer, and then the rest of the time is simply just silence before the Lord, and um, that and that concludes with the Angelus and um, uh, evening meal. And after we wash the dishes and the pots and scrub the pots and pans and this and that, we um, have some time, um, a free time for uh, for other things. And then at nine o'clock or nine fifteen, depending upon where where one lives, um, we have night prayer and the rosary. So you see, it's sort of like a sort of a curtain. It's sort of it's hung up with certain. Now, in between that, um, uh, uh, what I enjoy doing is I often need a, a book so I could so I could get my attention because I must admit, you know, we 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 the holy hour is a beautiful thing, but for me personally, from five o'clock to six o'clock, it's going to be a challenging time. Um, uh, the five o'clock to six o'clock a.m. If I jump jump in on that early hour. Um, I'm generally very, very attentive and clear because now I'm, I'm, I'm beginning the day. Uh-huh. But towards the end of the day, it can be a little bit rough. And, yeah. um, but, you know, we do our best. And, um, uh, uh, you know, with all of these things, as um, Father Benedict of happy memory would say that, you know, that we have to do our lousy best. Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, it's, uh, and we should not be necessarily be judging on the quality of our prayer. Um, uh, I guess we have to do a little bit of that, but... We have to be careful of even judging ourselves. And, uh, um, you know, Father, and you spoke of the beginning of the podcast with Father Andrew, and God bless Father Andrew. He was faithful. and um, But at night uh, in the friary, you would see him, you know, almost stumbling back and forth in the back of the chapel right. saying the rosary. Right. And, um, or sometimes, uh, uh, or he would sit down and, and his, uh, his chin would be on his, uh, on his chest <laughs> and he would be slumbering. But then he'd wake up again and go yeah. back to it. You know, yeah. he, he was like a fighter going into the ring. Yeah, I remember uh, he, Tim telling us one time it was during like the year of the rosary, uh, or year for the rosary. I forgot how to say that, but I think it was uh, 03, I think it was, and he he said he he prayed like all the mysteries, which I don't know if at that time it, I guess it was the four mysteries at that mm-hmm. time, but. Uh, he said he for that years like he was praying them all mm-hmm. that uh, every day, and he uh, and he said I remember one thing he said it helped him was his preaching. He was praying the rosary. I never forgot that. And it's like uh, I couldn't quite muster to pray all the mysteries, yeah, but mm-hmm. uh, I remember I, I thought that was powerful advice. Well, certainly we have to sort of say more is not always better, mm-hmm. and um, and sometimes praying the rosary. In a, in a better way, um, or even using the rosary. Sometimes I take my rosary. This is not to replace the the, the traditional rosary, but sometimes I'll take the rosary and I do what's called the litany of gratitude. I'll just take my beads and I thank God for a person, a place, or a thing that He's given me. So whether it's my my two brothers and and now my parents who are now deceased, but uh, certainly my grandparents and and you know certain cousins and friends and friars and 
my eyesight, my hearing, mm -hmm. my home, mm -hmm. my Catholic faith, mm -hmm. um, uh, places where I went to school, places where I was employed, places where I lived. Mm -hmm. So people, places, and things. Yeah. And, you, and you don't say the Hail Mary. I just sort of say, th you know, for, right. for my hearing, I thank you yeah. uh, that I'm not in pain, that I'm not in a hospital. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask you, too, about uh, confessions? I, you, you mentioned the other day about... Um, <laughs> I don't know if the word is, but you'd love to hear confessions. And tell me about how you see confession, how it helps people, and maybe even from the view as a priest. Well, it's, it's curious that there are these uh, like AA and, and the, these recovery programs where where, where confessions uh, not they're not sacramental, but that admission of one's own guilt in something is um uh, is very very important for the for the healing of of the person. And curiously, today everyone's accusing everyone of lying, and 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 and, and everyone's telling you know tell the basically what's the world sort of saying? Tell the truth, tell the truth, tell the truth. You know, did you do this? Did you did this to me? Or did you steal that? Or did you kill this? Or did you do that? So the truth evidently is very very important for the world because <laughs> everyone's making a big deal of it. Mm -hmm. And yet the truth about oneself, it seems that everyone has difficulty with. You know, telling the truth about oneself. Um, St. Francis of Assisi said that what a man is before God, that he is and nothing more. See, what you, what, are you, what you are, what we are before God, that's what we are and nothing more. So confession is basically just telling the truth about yourself, which in some sense brings us back to the beginning, although it's a different topic, but brings us back to foundations of renewal, is that if you're going to build something, you, you can't build something on, on clouds. You can't build a castle in the clouds. And so if we want to build something that we have to build on truth. So a, a relationship is built, especially a marriage is built, you have to be honest with one another. You know, we have to be kind, but that's to be truth. Mm -hmm. so, so we have to be true to ourselves. And this is the virtue of humility. So if I'm doing something that's very annoying to you, <laughs> And it's objectively, it's not simply just annoying to you, but it's, 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 it's annoying to many people, and I need to know about it. Well, for you to tell me is, 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 is an act of charity, number one, but also, if I'm humble, I'm able to accept it, mm -hmm. and, I, and, and hopefully I could change my behavior. And what, what's that happening? Now I'm becoming a better person. So do I necessarily need other people to tell me? Well, sometimes that's helpful. But not always people either don't feel the responsibility to tell us, or maybe they don't know our sins, but we do. <laughs> so there are some people don't make a sacramental confession because they don't believe in confessing to another man. I said, okay, good. Why don't you go in the bathroom, look in the mirror, and go confess your sins? Everything that you've done, mm -hmm. you confess in the mirror. Mm -hmm. Look yourself in the eyes and confess every rotten thing that you've done and every good thing that you have not done. Uh -huh. If you do that, maybe now the person might sort of say, you know what, that wasn't so bad. Yeah. Yeah. Or they may sort of say, I feel a little better. <laughs> so practice in the mirror. Then you yeah. might talk to somebody in the confessional. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you too about, <clears throat> this is my last question about, uh, you know, we talk a lot about in the culture today, leadership. Everybody wants, everybody... Uh, seemingly wants to be a leader and everybody's called to leadership and all this stuff. To me, it's like too much of an emphasis. But you were the community servant of the CFRs for like six, six years. Six years. What years was that? It's around 1999 and following. Okay. 
And what are some things maybe you learned from that or maybe things that shaped you from that? Well, I did realize that if I really felt that I was responsible for everyone and for everyone's happiness and for everyone's good, that, 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 that everything was me, then I would get anxious. Mm-hmm. But when I realized I was there to serve everybody as right. best as I can, that's when I felt at peace. Mm-hmm. So we could only do what we can do. And um, so, um, so to serve the needs of, to serve other people, is important, and that's what I've learned to. to I know that uh, that I also know that I'm going to be coming in, and in six years or whatever, or, or if they got rid of me after three <laughs> or before. But okay, I did do the four, the two terms of three years. Um, uh, I knew that I would just. I'm not going to change anything. I was going to. It didn't. The community was not made or broken with me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make or break the community. Yeah. I guess I could have a possibility of breaking it, but point being is, is that, uh, is that um, you do your best. You do the best with what you have. And um, I also learned to, to do things what I called odd experimentum, meaning you, I may have a bright idea and the brothers talk about it. I ask them about this, this idea. And let's say they're not too sure and some are positive, some are, let's say, less positive, some are negative, this and that. And then uh, instead of me imposing my will on everyone, I said, you know what? How about this? Let's try this for three months and let's evaluate it. Or even if it wasn't my idea, it was someone else's idea. Mm -hmm. And let's say I didn't agree with it. Not because it was objectively wrong or certainly not evil. I I didn't think it was a good idea. I didn't think it was going to work. Well, I learned that it did work. Mm -hmm. But quite often there's, there's, um, there's friction that happens is because, because people are afraid of a decision of what it means. And does this mean from now on, I'm going to have to do this or this, whatever like that? But you do it and you realize it wasn't a bad idea and is actually working. So we would test things out. I would give up my digging in my heels or white knuckling certain things through odd experimentum. Mm-hmm. And I think this could be very, this could be done even with families. Sort mm-hmm. of say, you know what? You know, we, we're going to say the rosary every night, or we're going to do, we're, we're going to, whatever, visit the poor people in our neighborhood. We're going to do it once a week. We're going to visit somebody. Let, let's try it out. Right. You know, we, we, we can't say, you know, who knows that has all the information, sort of say, that's never going to work, or that, you know, let's, let's try it out. Let's try, for the, let's try for the month, and then we'll evaluate it next month. Mm-hmm. Um, I also learned that planning is very, very, so communication. So, I mean, we have a Monday morning meeting come hell or high water. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we go through the week and we go through each brother, what's going on in your life? What, what, I mean, what's, what are you doing? What cars do you need? What do you, what's, whatever it might be, practical things. Yeah. And when everyone knows what's sort of what's going on, at least what's planned, mm-hmm. uh, there's less anxiety mm-hmm. because there's, uh, the, you have a certain sense of where things are moving. Not that things ever go <laughs> exactly the way right. that you expect it to. Yeah. There's always the curveball that comes in. Uh, there's always the flat tire. There's always the whatever, but um, at least uh, everyone has an opportunity of of uh, airing things out, um, stating what their needs might be, uh, talking some things through. So there's no major surprises during the week, mm-hmm. and uh, so the more um, there's there's greater stability and less insecurity because of the information shared. Mm-hmm. Great points. Well, thank you so much, Father Glenn, for chatting with us. My pleasure. Great to have you here this week. God bless all of our listeners.